Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, a podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the legendary Brent and L'Oreal Forest. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Kind of fits with what we're talking about today. Because exactly. what, what is it? What are we talking about today? Well, today is a very exciting topic, and our listeners might have figured it out based on when it's being released, because today we are talking about Groundhog Day, and this has been on the agenda since day one. <laughs> this is one of the first topics I wanted to talk about, because it's a lot more involved than you might think. And so really, I always thought started. that it was just a very straightforward Bill Murray comedy. I didn't think there was much oh. more. No, yeah. there is a lot more than that oh. particular movie that I haven't seen. Once What's we drop this episode, it's just going to keep people are just going to keep getting it dropped in their feed each new day because it's going to be the same day. Over <laughs> yeah, Sorry, guys. exactly. Just every day. It's, it's going to be, be ground. Our only episode. Pod, yeah, our only episode it. from the rest of the time. Now. I imagine most of our listeners are familiar with the basics of Groundhog Day, but just in case, here is a little refresher from the official Punxsutawney Groundhog Club's Fun Facts FAQ. First of all, it is Groundhog Day. It's not Groundhog's Day, and this is going to be very mm. important when we discuss the real mystery. That's right, guys. There's only one supreme groundhog. Yep, yep. Actually, no, I refuse. I'm sorry. No, I refuse. I'm sorry, Dylan. Let me, I have to say this. I, this is serious. There has been a war on Groundhog Day, as you, you know, for far too long. The godless libtards are trying to force us to say happy Groundhog's Day. It's Merry Groundhog Day, everyone. Yeah, I, one Groundhog. I, you know, I appreciate that, Stan. I'm not going to joke about this either because Punxsutawney Phil is the one true groundhog of Merry Groundhog Day. And all other varmints are just imposters with no prognosticating powers whatsoever. <laughs> and I will not stand <laughs> lame for these imposters to go unpunished. Preach. So on February 2nd of each year, including today, right now, when you're listening to this, thousands gather in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania to visit one particular groundhog, the aforementioned Puxatawney Phil. If the double P, as I like to call him, sees his shadow, there will be six more weeks of winter. If he does not, there will be an early spring. And for myself and many of our listeners, I would guess that's that's kind of the end of the story. And we you, are. No, no, no. You would be very, very <laughs> oh. wrong indeed, because that and is just am scratching. Wrong. Yes, as per usual. Aww. So there is a lot to the current Canon. I'm going to call it the canon of Groundhog Day. But before we get into that, we need to dive into the history. So why February 2nd? Well, February 2nd is Candlemas Day, which is also known as the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus Christ and the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Oh, God damn it. Is there anything we cover on this podcast that isn't based on Jesus and or Mary at this point? It's well, like if you episode. listen to our... If you listen to our previous episode, uh, and if you believe Dr. Laurette Willis, then Christian yoga actually has nothing to do with Jesus or Mary. Uh, so, you know, there's at least that. <laughs> That's true. February 2nd is also right smack dab in the middle of the winter solstice and the vernal equinox. An ancient tradition associates clear weather on Candlemas Day with six more weeks of harsh winter. 
February 2nd is also Imbolc, a Gaelic festival. One activity popular on Imbolc was weather divination, where folks would be on the lookout for snakes or badgers to come out of their hidey holes, as expressed in this Scottish Gaelic proverb, quote, The serpent will come from the hole on the brown day of bride, though there should be three feet of snow on the flat surface of the ground. Don't, don't, please, please let me be the best man at your wedding. Sorry, Forrest. So I can read out loud, the serpent will come from the hole on the brown day of the bride. Uh, Well, and you will be married. I don't think that would be appropriate because (laughs) the bride that this proverb is referring to is the goddess Bridget, who became St. Bridget to get the pagans to come to church. So I think that, you know, this would be a different wedding altogether. I don't think that's going to have anything to do with my uh, wedding. All right, then. Imbolc is also associated with a divine hag, the Kaliche. If the Kaliche wants the winter to last longer, she will make the weather nice on Imbolc so she can gather firewood to last her the whole winter. You know, I, w- I want to troll the OurLadyIsGod.com people and post on their page, hey, your blessed holy mother slash God is a divine hag. Oh, see. she's definitely part of the unholy trinity of Groundhog Day. I know that's, <laughs> you know, I've got that uh, painting on my wall as we speak. And this association of clear weather on Candlemas with a longer winter is itself expressed in a number of rhymes. Quote, if Candlemas Day be fair and bright, winter will have another flight. If Candlemas be fair and clear, there'll be two winters in the year. Just so far as the sun shines in, just so far will the snow blow in. That last one isn't very impressive. I hate that leprechaun movie. <laughs> if Candlemas Day be fair and bright, winter will have another flight. <laughs> Germans brought the tradition to the United States. While they were more used to relying on the prognostication of badgers, they settled on woodchucks or groundhogs in their new home because they were far more prevalent. Not a lot of badgers hanging out. We need some Reddit discussions on whether or not woodchucks are groundhogs. Yeah. Apparently, at least the these folks use the, the words interchangeably is uh, what I've discovered. I don't care how people use words in the real world. I have my own use, goddammit, and it's oh. correct no matter what. Oh, I mean, that is true. Okay. And considering that these Germans, they also relied at various points on marmots, wolves, foxes, and bears, this innovation once they came to the United States, not as extreme as might be first believed. They should have relied on Sasquatch. He never lets you down. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if if they were a Pacific Northwest, if that's where they (laughs) settled, I think the Sasquatch would have been much more effective. These German immigrants primarily resided in Pennsylvania. This is the the Pennsylvania Dutch. You might have heard of the Pennsylvania Dutch country because they are German. They're not Dutch. Uh, If you think of how they say German in Germany, it's Deutsch. And so Americans are kind of dumb. Dutch, Germans, groundhogs, woodchucks, groundhogs, all the same. Yeah, it's all the same. And so this is why this is why Groundhog Day became associated with Pennsylvania. But one thing that we haven't really explained is why the shadow plays such an important role in Groundhog Day. Yeah, what does, y- what does Jungian about, psychology have to do with all this? Well, we're going to find out. Okay. Its origin might be metal as fuck. As recounted in the article, <laughs> yeah. Totemism and Civic Boosterism in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, 1899 to 1909 by Christopher R. Davis. Quote, The importance of the animal's shadow on February 2nd may refer to the ancient belief that the underworld robs a being of its shadow, which is what renders it truly dead. 
An animal can symbolize the coming of spring then only if it has truly died, leaving its shadow underground. Mm. Hence, if the animal sees its shadow, it must resume its death-like state in the ground. The rebirth of spring cannot be attained until death is complete. <laughs> That just blew my fucking mind. Wow. Oh, no, you can't read it. Imagine. You have to read it that way. <laughs> Imagine, along with like what Paul Potter had talked about, Groundhog's Day on a double shadow planet where there's two suns and there's double shadows. Oh, Could you imagine? Oh, holy God. Also, oh. it's Groundhog Day. I just, we have oh, to I'm, keep I'm reiterating sorry. that. We can't I'm, I'm sorry. speak yes. incorrectly on this episode. So that's kind of the ancient, primarily the ancient history and how it came to the United States. But what about Groundhog Day proper? The earliest inkling of what would become Groundhog Day comes from the diary of James L. Morris, who mentioned the peculiar tradition of his German neighbors on February 2nd, 1840. But it wasn't until 1886 when Groundhog Day got official press in the form of an announcement in the Puxitani spirit, which announced, quote, up to the time of going to press, the beast has not seen its shadow. Oh, so Sasquatch got it. Also, I don't trust the failing Punxsutawney spirit. That's fake news. No, man, they're the, the only true news around. I think so. Well, at least it's not the just Jeffersonian Democrat. That's oof, that's the worst. Well, we're anyway, actually going to be talking about the Jeffersonian Democrat because oh. by 1899, <laughs> Groundhog Day became deeply rooted in Pennsylvania culture, as evidenced by this quote from the Jeffersonian Democrat, quote, the majority of the people hereabouts seem to believe in this groundhog business and regard him as a more infallible weather prophet than Reverend Ira L. Hicks or G. Wank, two popular weather predictors at the time. Because of this belief, the second day of February is looked forward to anxiously, and the people note with care that day whether or not the sun shines out, for that fact will settle in their minds the question of the duration and severity of the following winter weather. There are many things in the natural world that are hard to understand. And this groundhog weather business is one of them. We don't want to appear odd from all our neighbors. And so we believe in the groundhog also. But there are a few things connected with this general subject that worry us a little at times. Yeah, it sounds like fake news to me, Dylan. In fact, <laughs> they wear their bias on their sleeve because Jefferson's party was the Democratic Republicans. And this is called the Jeffersonian Democrat. That is not fair and balanced. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. How did Puxitani specifically become the epicenter of Groundhog Day, specifically the Puxitani Groundhog Club, who now in 2020, they're the official groundhog communicators. They're the ones who tell us, you know, what Puxitani Phil is up to. You might think that the Puxitani Groundhog Club, which runs the whole show, started because of their belief in the weather predicting power of groundhogs. But you would be wrong. What? They started for a very different reason to eat groundhogs. Oh, no. Well, just the ones that see their shadow, though, right? Well, not at first, but that actually does come up later. Okay. <laughs> Groundhog meat was considered a Puxatawney delicacy with a taste somewhere between pork and chicken. One groundhog banquet served at the Puxatawney Elks Lodge around 1889 was so well received that an annual groundhog hunt began to take shape, coalescing in the official formation of the Puxatani Groundhog Club around 1899. But as all of our listeners, I'm sure, are well aware, groundhog meat tastes far better when allowed to marinate overnight. Ah, true. This means that the groundhogs caught during the annual hunt were not the groundhogs that would be eaten at the annual groundhog feast. Ah. 
Because the hunt was not really that important anymore, the date became an opportunity for, quote, fellowship, oratory, skits, and rites of initiation. <laughs> no slam poetry? No, not at first. The slam poetry, I believe, came around 1910. Okay. That's when the slam poetry became, you know, an important component. They even created a new beverage called Groundhog Punch, <laughs> which sounds really disgusting. It was it consisted of vodka, milk, eggs, orange juice, and other ingredients. Uh, Kelp extract. Uh, it sounded really disgusting before you told us what was in it, and then also after. Yeah, I think because I initially thought, oh, it's like a groundhog smoothie, mm -hmm. and that you know sounds way more appetizing <laughs> than vodka, milk, eggs, and orange <laughs> juice mixed together. The hunt itself also began to change. The hunters training their guns and dogs for grub hose, spades, and rubber hoses to listen to the varmints underground. And thus Yosemite Sam was born. This is when things got silly. So that's all well and good. But when did Puxatani, Groundhog, and Weather Prediction become united? Arguably, it was due to the work of Pittsburgh cartoonist C.M. Payne. He created a comic strip for the Pittsburgh Gazette called Coon Hollow, whose main hmm. character was a raccoon. Oh, so good. it's named after a raccoon. Okay. Let me be very clear about that. <laughs> good, good. On Groundhog Day 1902, Payne's raccoon character threatened another character named Brer Groundhog, Weather Prophet, presumably because the raccoon was none too happy about its prediction. Hey, the raccoon is just a climate skeptic, okay? Yeah, the raccoon thought the winter had been paused. That was his uh, going theory at the point. Payne would eventually link Brer Groundhog to Punxsutawney for a surprising reason. Both the Pittsburgh Gazette and the Punxsutawney Spirit shared Republican editorial leanings, and the editor of the Punxsutawney Spirit, William O. Smith, was running for Congress that year. And in case you're wondering, Smith won that election and became a two-term representative. Lovely. So good for him. Good job, William O. Smith. Well deserved. <laughs> this all led to pain on September 11th, no less. Uh, coincidence? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Coincidence? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is, it's definitely please. not a coincidence. I haven't figured out. The road out to tyranny started on this September 11th. <laughs> <laughs> the road to tyranny leads back to a groundhog burrow. So on this day that will live in infamy, Payne created a front page cartoon of William O. Smith talking with his raccoon character. Tied to Smith's chair is a pet groundhog. Now, see, we're already, the linkings are beginning. The following Sunday, September 14th, Brer Groundhog Weather Prophet became Brer Groundhog Punxsutawney, looking skyward and saying, it looks like rain. It's a bit of a demotion, don't you think? Brer Groundhog Weather Prophet sounds much more important to me. I mean, in a sense, it does sound more important, but... I think the new name is far more impressive mm -hmm. since it shows that Brer Groundhog managed to survive Puxatani's ravenous appetite for groundhog <laughs> flesh. Oh, that's true. So that's amazing. Yeah. Kind of impressive. That is impressive in a way. Yeah. In this first, in this uh, September 14th comic, Brer Groundhog is wearing an overcoat and a boater hat. But the following Sunday, he is wearing a, a stovepipe hat, a top hat, which is still the official hat of the Puxatani Groundhog Club to this day. Is he still allowed to keep the overcoat? Did he keep the overcoat or they, they changed that too? No, the overcoat, it's gone. It's gone. Ah, he just, right. It was too much. Too much. Okay. But why did Payne link Puxatani specifically to groundhogs in the first place? Davis argues that the likely culprit was John P. Cowan, a reporter for the Pittsburgh Gazette. 
Not only was Cowan interested in local folklore, including relying on groundhogs to predict the weather, but he actually participated in the Puxatawney Groundhog Club hunt in 1902, saying of his experience that he, quote, first tasted roast groundhog garnished with incomparable Puxatawney relishes and dared fate by quaffing groundhog punch, a mysterious beverage which is the only lawful substitute for gasoline in scientific motoring. Uh, it sounds like he's had a little too much groundhog punch. So so what you're saying is he had any amount yeah, that's of groundhog punch, because yeah. I think that's already <laughs> too much. Yeah. Okay. Now, so far, Puxatani didn't really take ownership of this story. They were kind of just reacting. It was really the Pittsburgh Gazette kind of putting it on Puxatani, making him like, y'all got the groundhog that predicts the weather. But eventually their hand was forced. On February 1st, 1903, another full-page pain cartoon once again featured the prognosticating groundhog, this time clearly labeled as coming from Puxatani. The cartoon also featured all the other animals of Coon Hollow armed with sticks, rolling pins, and axes ready to assault the groundhog for the upcoming winter. <laughs> oh, nice. Very, very nice. This is because rather than merely predicting the weather, Payne's groundhog made the well. Oh, Holy shit. This is the origin story of the harp with a high frequency active auural research program, guys. This is the this is it. Oh, this is it's a funny story because uh, uh, Puxatawney Phil has had a lot of competitors over the years. And one of them was Halifax Harp, <laughs> uh, where they were mm. like, you know, we're going to replace the groundhog with a, mm -hmm. um, you know, a big old fancy device. Yep. Um, it, it didn't really catch on, but, uh, you know, it gave the government some good ideas. I've Scary. got your documents, ladies and gentlemen, that the groundhogs <laughs> are controlling the weather and giving you cancer. It's terrible. Yep. Groundhog cancer. That too. We, we don't talk about it enough. Nope. It's, it's the damn uh, windmills that give you cancer. Our president that comes from the president of the United States, folks. I did not make this the up. windmills give us cancer because they're tying groundhogs to the blades. Everybody knows oh that. My God. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. So the Puxatani spirit could not, you know, take this lying down. A cartoon groundhog from Puxatani was about to be assaulted on the pages of the Pittsburgh Gazette. And this is what the Puxatani spirit had to say about all this. Quote, Br'er Groundhog saw his silhouette, chuckled malignantly, and scrambled back into his burrow. The groundhog, having been made light of by the Pittsburgh Gazette, is greatly chagrined. I will take special delight in dumping the meatest kind of weather on Pittsburgh. The groundhog has his war paint on and something terrible may be confidently expect that groundhog. Yeah, you call it war paint, I call it marinade. But actually, Forrest, this this should have been your burrow. This is what you should have done instead of the, the Kafka story. You should have just done this. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a much more, it would have been a much bigger moneymaker for sure. I mean, just, I mean, I would just take the burrow, just rename it Groundhog Day <laughs> to the burrow. And, you know, <laughs> Now, this idea that the that a Punxsutawney groundhog was a weather wizard and not just a predictor was also reflected in the 1903 gathering of the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club. Canoe Ridge Farm, where the gathering took place, was rechristened the Canoe Ridge Weatherworks. Mm. After all, quote, these weatherworks were said to be Punxsutawney's main industry, producing the town's chief export. This mythos of Punxsutawney as the groundhog weather mecca only grew in 1904 from the eloquent pen of John Cowan, who we've already mentioned before. Quote, All the apostles of good weather look upon Puxatani as their capital and the mecca toward which they turn their faces in annual pilgrimages. Here is the official residence of the groundhog. 
It is here that the high priests of sunshine, breezes, and of radiant sunsets hold their pious incantations. In short, Puxitani is the seat of the weatherworks and the responsible source of all the time-honored traditions and prophecies linked so inseparably with the whims of the climate. There's a lot of triggering buzzwords to me in this eloquently written prose. Mecca, incantations, climate. Not not a fan of that. Mm, yeah. Even yeah. weather. I, I don't even right. like weather, it's, to be perfectly ugh. honest. Let's Small just, climate is what it is. It's horrible. Yeah, we, we don't need that coastal elite talk about the weather. We could just say it's cold or yep, it's hot. That's, all we, That's all we need. The Puxatani Groundhog Club even used this mythos to justify their annual hunt. And this kind of alludes to something uh, said earlier about whether they only killed and ate the ones who saw their shadow. Because by 1904, the goal of the hunt was to, quote, exterminate the lineage of woodchucks known to have been wrong on an occasional February 2nd. It was a tabooed marmot then that was boxed and returned to Pittsburgh after the September outing. It was to be stuffed and mounted and presented to Weatherman Ridgeway as a horrible reminder of the fate that awaits the forecaster who makes a mistake in his predictions. <laughs> ah, threats of brutal murder and taxidermy. It's, it's adorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't until 1908 that the Puxatawney Groundhog Club opted to officially commemorate Groundhog Day itself. Up till then, they were still just doing their annual hunt and feast in September. But then in 1908, they were spurred to action by other organizations and other cities trying to, you know, crowd in on their kind of Groundhog game. And so they opted to become the official Groundhog Day observers. So enough with the past. Let's move to the current day mythology. First, we need to know, we've been talking a lot about Br'er Groundhog. That was the official first name. But what about Puxatawney Phil? Where does that name come from? While we know that the famed Groundhog was christened Puxatawney Phil in 1961, it's not altogether clear where the name comes from. The official line from the Puxatawney Groundhog Club website is that he was named after King Philip. But which one? It's unclear, but mental floss has a possible explanation, an explanation rooted in groundhog murder. Oh. <laughs> Wait, someone that murdered a groundhog or groundhog that are murderers? No, no, a groundhog that was murdered by the state. Oh, Gary. In their eugenics program to wipe out the lineage of groundhogs that got the weather prediction wrong. <laughs> I, I wish that's what it was, but it's actually far more nefarious. Oh, more. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. In 1953, Puxatani gifted Los Angeles' Griffith Park Zoo two baby groundhogs. They were named Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip. Elizabeth II recently becoming queen, so they were named after, you know, new queen. Let's get let's name these groundhogs after some British royalty. Why not? That's the American way. Now, the zoo was grateful for these two baby groundhogs, as we can imagine why. And they rule but, and they ruled over the zoo for many years. No, uh, actually, that didn't happen okay. because the state of California had such a giant stick up its ass that it declared the baby mm -hmm. groundhogs, quote, agricultural pests and demanded they be destroyed, which they promptly were. The fuck? You know, I've seen the Netflix docu-series Don't Fuck With Cats. I think it's time for Don't Fuck With Groundhogs. This I agree. Is not cool. this Let's is, get some people on the internet. Let's go. This Shut is why this people down. don't like liberals. They kill groundhogs. <laughs> now, as you could imagine, the Puxatawney Groundhog Club were none too pleased with the actions of California, going so far as to say the groundhogs were, quote, executed. 
I thought I thought they were I thought they were angry because if you're going to execute the groundhogs, you better at least mix them with eggs and vodka and orange juice. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, like give, give it some, give a good mixer with it. Otherwise, it's not a um, dignified death. I, I thought that was See, what they actually were they were more concerned about foreign policy oh. because this is what the president of the inner circle had to say about the matter. Quote, I'm going to ask my congressman to take the matter up with the State Department so we won't get into complications with England. <laughs> Killing these groundhogs was an insult to the royal family. What? Because they were. Yeah, because they were named after uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip and California killed them. And so clearly, this is an international incident. But thankfully, at the very least, the two groundhogs were sent back to Puxatani to receive an appropriate burial. They found their original burrows and just put them back in there like little tombs. Yeah, the tomb was a keg for the groundhog punch that was being made that year. And then eight years later, the name Puxatani Phil first appeared in newspapers. Perhaps the name was a way of honoring one of the groundhog martyrs murdered by the People's Democratic Republic of California. So that is the history of Groundhog Day. But let's go, let's go, you know, up to date. What's the Mm -hmm. current up to date lore? What should you expect later today after listening to this episode? Punxsutawney Phil will be placed on a ceremonial stump on Gobbler's Knob. There, he will tell the president of the inner circle what his prediction is. That's right. He will tell him. No. (laughs) absolutely not the groundhog and the president converse in groundhog ease a language the president can understand because he is in possession of an ancient acacia wood cane and Puxatani Phil by the way as kind of we mentioned right up top is the only groundhog that can tell the weather all other prognosticating rodents are imposters this is officially Mm. stated by the Puxatani Groundhog Club. We've been joking about that groundhog punch, but Puxatani Phil has been drinking this stuff for decades, which is how he has been able to predict the weather since 1887, making Puxatani Phil 133 years old. Damn. Damn. Since he's so old, we should really get Phil's take on climate change. He can give us kind of the long term <laughs> data. That's a good point. We should really be uh, <laughs> we should really be putting him to better use. And yeah, predicting so, climate, really. All you got to do is learn groundhog ease. He tells you, he says, he goes, it's a hoax. That's yeah. what he tells you. That's all it takes. And so that is kind of up to date about what Groundhog Day is all about. But I'm sure everyone listening is wondering, is Puxatani Phil accurate? And Brent has more information on that. That's right. This segment's called, Can Groundhogs Predict the Weather? Yeah. Do your own research. Yeah, that's it. We're done um, with the episode. You know, we're not even going to tell you. Shut it down. Thank you. All right. So are groundhogs accurate at predicting the weather or are they just little rodent climate scientists that are only in it for the money and big borough government? That's the question. So the Guardian decided to go ahead and tackle this pressing, very important question in their article, Groundhog Day 2013. It's a little dated. Sorry. How well can groundhogs predict the weather? It's funny because 2013 is also when climate change uh, paused. Yes. Yeah, this is interesting. This is a good year to do this. We're still going through the pause, according to Ted Cruz. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They pulled from all the groundhog weather prediction data spanning back from 1999 and to 2013 and calculated the length of winter. So according to this article, quote, 
We calculated the mean average snowfall for February in North America using data from the last 10 years. Then we subtracted this average from the snow cover for the particular year. This gives us an indication of the severity of the winter for that year relative to the other years. And what were the results of the scientific study? Well, in the past 13 years, the groundhog weathermen have only predicted the weather correctly four times. So, well, so I, there's a there's a huge not, you not made a best. huge mistake. You said groundhog weathermen, oh. but we all know that there is only one. Puxatawney Phil is the groundhog <laughs> weatherman. He is a man. That's but, true. <laughs> he is a man. <laughs> 133 year old man. All right. So like any good Groundhog Day scientist, we need to be thorough and cover all our bases. So according to the article, quote, there are lots of details we've skipped over to get this result. For example, the Groundhog's predictive skills could be regionally based. And so predicting the winter for the entire of North America is just not fair on the little guy. (laughs) It is. And it's a man, not a guy. They misspoke. Definitely. It is clear that there is scope for further investigation. Yeah, I. You know, I appreciate at least that they were kind of they went this far to do their due diligence, but it's sad that they didn't also consider the possibility of human error in translating Phil's predictions from Groundhog Ease. You know, if I'm going to blame anyone, I'm going to blame the president of the inner circle. I just don't think he's understanding Phil in, in the circumstances where he, quote unquote, got it wrong. Yeah, and so just so everyone can do their own research, there is a really helpful um, chart with all this data from the article that we will post on Patreon. Um, So make sure and look for that. So my last section here is called Why Do Groundhogs Hate Mayors? Oh, Maybe you may wonder this before knowing any of this. Have you seen Giuliani recently? I mean, it's pretty obvious why anyone (laughs) would hate mayors. He looks like a groundhog, actually, which is... (laughs) Sorry, shouldn't have said that. I don't like to groundhog. It's an insult to groundhogs. Yeah, yeah. Just a few years ago on Groundhog's Day 2015, Jonathan Freund, the mayor of Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, had his ear bitten by a groundhog. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So Jimmy was the name of the groundhog that hates mayors. Mm. And actually, I think we need David Lynch to interrogate Jimmy. (laughs) If you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. If anyone speaks groundhoggies, it's David Lynch. Um Also, you know, maybe Jimmy just hates that one mayor and not all mayors. I think it's a that's, bit. That's probably true. I think we're going a bit quick to say yeah. he hates mayors. Due to rampant voter suppression in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, Jimmy was unable to vote against mm, yeah. uh, the mayor there. So makes sense. Not good. They say, you know, vote with your wallet. He voted with his teeth. So that's a different strategy. So the the Mashable article that I source this from is clearly on Jimmy's side. I'm sorry to say um, they blame the groundhog's handler saying he was holding the groundhog way too close to the mayor's face <laughs> while he was speaking. <laughs> that's the mayor, not the groundhog during the event. So I blame Jimmy. Yeah. In the video, the mayor tries to play it off right after the rodent chomped down on his earlobe, even rolling his eyes and acting like it didn't face him. <laughs> Which is typical mayor behavior, but I'm not on the side of the groundhog, just to be clear. This is not, this is not Phil, so, sorry. Yeah, I know when I get chomped on by a weather-controlling rodent, my first reaction is to roll my eyes, like, oh, as if. Yeah, he checks to make sure his ears not bleeding, which, I don't know, I didn't see any blood. Unfortunately, the horror didn't end there. According to the article, quote, Jimmy's handlers... Jerry and Maria Hahn said the mayor had gotten it wrong and that there would be six more weeks of winter. 
The city later issued a statement saying only the mayor can translate Jimmy's prediction. <laughs> see, see, so this is how the Guardian should have talked about the accuracy of Groundhog weather prediction. It's the translators that make mistakes, not the Groundhog. I'm sick of all the that's Groundhog right. blaming that's going on. It can only be attributable to human error. Exactly. The Groundhog 9000. And speaking of artificial intelligence... We're going to end this episode on Groundhog Day by asking, you know, we asked, why do groundhogs hate mayors? Now we need to ask, why does PETA hate Groundhog Day? Because just because they're from California. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. That is definitely part of it. <laughs> the Republic uh, of California. Yeah. Democratic just, People's Republic of California. Just a couple of days ago, <laughs> Representative Glenn Thompson, whose district includes Huxitani, was forced to defend the yearly tradition against those hypocritical opponents of fun everywhere. PETA. PETA, concerned that Puxatawney Phil gets too stressed on Groundhog Day, called for him to be replaced by a, quote, AI robot. Forrest, okay, let's start. PETAI? PETAI. <laughs> Is that how you say that? PETAI? PETAI. People for the Ethical Treatment of Artificial Intelligence. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, and Forrest wrote an article about that, actually. I it. did. It's all about how artificial groundhogs are treated very miserably and i think that we all need to respect them much better yeah so what did representative thompson have to say about all this he called the suggestion quote crazy and misguided he also said it goes against something he holds dear automation taking away the jobs of hard-working americans andrew yang <laughs> and andrew on that yang. note oh sorry go ahead <laughs> and on that note we are done with our episode on Groundhog Day. So, Brent, Forrest, what did you learn in today's episode? What most appealed to you? Well, I have a very strong stomach, but even I cannot stomach the egg, vodka, orange juice, groundhog punch Ooh. to me. That's th the most revolting thing I've ever thought of. I'm trying to picture what it would look like, and no picture comes out well. No, it does. It sounds. I like how this episode um, is like many of our others that in, uh, there's always like a cartoonist involved. Yeah. Sometimes they just pop up and seem like they're very important, and we just read what the they cartoonists have to say. are very important. It turn it turns out it's very. Uh, yeah. yeah, they are. Yeah, expanding Earth, expanding yeah. Groundhog, Harp. The origin story of Harp is fun. <laughs> Halifax Harp. You know, we got to consider them. <laughs> um, I just I loved how just all these like little weird stories coalesced into folks hanging out in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, wearing top hats, uh, pretending to talk to a groundhog about what the weather's <laughs> going to be like. It's incredible how all these little bits and bobs kind of come together, uh, you know, to produce this beautiful tradition. Um, also, I have to say, it's nice covering a story that is basically 100 percent silly and nice like i don't think there's anything yeah i agree you know a mayor got his his face bitten on but yeah. you know that was his fault let's what let's about all the hunting's and killing the hunting's and euthanasia of groundhogs was pretty sad <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know we're genocide of a race we're adults and so we're not vegans and so we don't care about that oh okay I see. um <laughs> but for the most part no anti-semitism as as far as we could tell that is is wrapped up this is the first episode the, uh, without any anti-semitism i think that's very interesting the only yeah, one. no anti-Semitism. Yeah, no, you know, no one wants to install some kind of groundhog theocracy, which is really nice. Um, it's just yeah, good, that's true. clean, fun. And on that note of kindness and niceness, we hope you enjoy <laughs> the rest of your groundhog day. And we 
are done. Thank you for listening to this episode of None Dare Call It Ordinary. If you would also like to hear our weekly bonus episodes, just become a $5 a month patron over at patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary. That is also where you'll find any blog posts, pictures, and news updates to go along with our regular series. And you don't even have to be a patron to get access to all that fun stuff. You can also reach us by email at nundarecallitordinary at gmail.com. Lastly, we ask for you to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts are served.